are the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host. Good morning, and thank you so much for chiming in and listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, which is produced by the George Washington University Institute for Transformational Leadership. My name is Chris Wall, and I'm your host today. I have worked with Georgetown for a very long time, from leading the organization development program to founding the coaching program to teaching now in both the coaching and the transformational leadership programs. So for this particular show, we're very interested in what cutting-edge change leaders are thinking about today, and I am completely delighted and thrilled to be sitting here with two of my favorite people to work with, Dan Holden and Jim Anderson. And I I feel so um, lucky to be able to interview both of you, and I welcome you to this show, Dan and Jim. Thanks, Chris. Really great to be here, Chris. Yeah, thank you. So uh, let me give you a little of information about them. Uh, Dan and Jim are both coaches. Uh, they're both authors. I would say they're both healers, and they've helped me heal at times in my life where I really needed that. Um, they are, I would say, great spiritual ambassadors for really finding your authentic voice and your authentic self. And they are also um, very fun to be around. Um, Jim has his own business called Key Connections and his own website, and Dan also has his own business. Um, Jim has written a provocative book called uh, How to Find a Silver Lining in Every Dark Cloud, which I loved, and Dan has written a book that I love very much called Lost Between Lives, Finding Your Light When the World Goes Dark. So these two are uh, highly playful experimenters in this whole field of coaching leaders and working with transformation and change. So we're going to dive right in. Um, I'm going to go right to both of you and just say, okay, so you're working with leaders, you're working with change. Uh, Tell us a little bit, each of you, about the work that you're up to now. I'll start with you, Jim. Thanks, Chris. It's wonderful to be here, and I think as I reflect a bit on the work I'm doing with leaders today, there's a pretty uh, transformational shift occurring in the work that I do. I would say most of the last 20 years, the focus has been on supporting leaders and improving their effectiveness as leaders and getting and sustaining results that they want. And in the last few years, what I would say is the conditions in the market uh, are becoming so chaotic, so uncertain, so unpredictable that the shift is moving from uh, the leader being the person who knows and then directs the many in service to the vision and results that we want uh, to a fundamental shift in the leader's capacity to be centered, to be at peace, to be in a state of grace and ease in the face of chaotic not knowing. Uh, and, and in that place of not knowing, reaches deeper into a more intuitive place to find guidance on how to lead the organization forward into these untenable, unpredictable, and really challenging circumstances. Mm-hmm. And the other shift I'm noticing as leaders move from more of a control orientation from the top down to more of a open uh, to a more intuitive place and uh, engage more people in the process of leading, what I'm watching is a, a significant shift as well in, ter- uh, in uh, moving decision-making closer to the place where either the customer or the marketplace is being contacted by the organization so that decisions can happen more quickly and more intuitively right at the source rather than having to ch- travel up and down chains of command to get direction. Okay. Thank you so much. So you're seeing you're seeing the chaos that a lot of people are talking about. You're actually seeing that in the leaders that you're working with. 
It's absolutely unprecedented in my experience. Okay. Thanks, Jim. What about you, Dan? What I'm you just thinking. I, I really enjoy listening to Jim talk about <laughs> his uh, perspective and what he sees. It occurs to me that I began my career in chaos. Uh-huh. I did a lot of nonprofit work in the 70s, inner-city job training programs. <clears throat> I was active in resettling the first wave of Vietnamese who came here after mm-hmm. the fall of Saigon, working with people who were able to hang on to the helicopters, the ones who couldn't hang on, I never saw. Mm-hmm. So there was just something uh, exciting and challenging about stepping into that chaotic mess, making sense out of it very quickly, and... Uh, directing people into the kind of job training programs that would best benefit them. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of work in corporate America in the 80s. I, uh, it took me a while to find out, to, 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 to discover where the real edge was in that work. It was easy when people were desperate and I was helping them find work and get into school and so forth, but Mm-hmm. It was harder to see that same desperation in corporate America until I realized, mostly through my own experience, that uh, people were really estranged from, from their own authentic voice. They lost themselves while they were trying to fit into the culture. Mm-hmm. And so that became my work, and I enjoyed doing deeper work with leaders. I got very interested in looking also at race and gender issues in corporate America. It seemed to me that there were forces larger than individual motivation and drive that were affecting some people. Mm-hmm. So I spent my whole life working on deeper issues with leaders on race and gender in business. And um, today I joined Jim in talking about just the chaotic pace of change and how... Uh, how difficult it is to find a center point if you're looking for it outside of yourself. There is no center point out there. There is no rest. And while the call is for greater nimbleness, greater responsiveness, being able to keep your eye on the prize without being easily provoked by a thousand and one things that can happen every day, Mm -hmm. um, that's the challenge, helping leaders find the still point in themselves in the midst of the craziness that surrounds them, and that's the, the work I most enjoy doing, finding center in, the, in yes. the midst of chaos. That's wonderful, finding center, being able to find a still point, and right. being able, like you were saying, Jim, to be more open and um, aware of your own intuitive um, guidance and wisdom that can come closer to the surface. So one of the things that I I hear this all the time, and I've listened to other radio shows, and I read copiously about leadership, and everyone's talking about the chaos out there. And so many people are talking about, you know, waking up, being present, understanding the context you're in and yourself in the middle of it. And it feels to me, and actually I could probably point to so many books that would, that would prove this, like the data is out there. Like, the data's out there that leaders, it's time to find the still point, and it's time to find your intuitive voice. What do you think is in the way of that? As I think about it, Chris, what I mm-hmm. have seen is the most of our development focus in leadership has really been intellectually focused around learning and building a body of knowledge that will create success. And when I look at all of the uncertainty and change, what I keep uh, bumping into is leaders who come to me and say, everything I've done to prepare myself has not prepared me to lead in the face of the chaos that I'm now facing. And at first, that feels really threatened to the well-developed intellect that's in a standalone place of uh, having had a really good track record of success up until now. And rather than it being threatening, what I watch is that that pressure and that uncertainty is just here as a catalyst, not to threaten the intellect, but to crack open the heart and the gut so that our heart center from a relating perspective and our intuitive center from a centered uh, presence in the face of not knowing 
can join with the well-developed intellect, and then when those three centers of awareness work as a whole system, being uh, uh, calm in the midst of the storm of chaos, finding direction, and then knowing how to relate with people, engage them creatively, and lead into the uncertainty is pretty natural. So Mm -hmm. it feels threatening at first, but what it's really doing is just showing the intellect its limits and beginning to crack open the heart and the gut to allow intuition and our relating capacity to enter the fray. And when I watch the three get developed, opened, and work as a whole system now, we're much more adept at being able to lead in these current conditions. And the beauty of it for me now is we don't only end up with a more effective leader and better, more sustainable results, we end up with people who have awoken to their deeper potential that's been patiently waiting for them to find its way home to that for their whole life. Yeah. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Um, Is there anything you wanted to add to that, Dan? I think there's also, for many of us, an early narrative that... um, that gets uh, finds its place in us by virtue of early experiences in our family and schools and churches and so forth. And the narrative we carry with us out of childhood into adulthood, never really paying much attention to it, but it really shapes the person we think we should be. It makes us open to certain kinds of experiences, but closes us down to a lot of other things. I just earlier this week did a debriefing with a woman 360 debriefing with the leadership circle and it was very clear in the results that uh, her peer, her her scores with her boss were fine, scores with direct reports were good, but the peers really in some way got the worst of her. Those scores were significantly lower um, than the others and her own self-scores with peers was quite low. And when I asked about it, she talked for a bit, and then finally paused, uh, got a bit tearful, and dropped into a deeper place where she shared, I think for the first time, that she'd come out of uh, a very difficult uh, upbringing, alcoholic uh, father, and she harbored a lot of resentment toward her mother for always giving her father a second chance. Mm -hmm. And uh, she got out of the home early, never went back, but sort of carried with her this uh, this reluctance to give people a second chance, mm-hmm. especially those who were uh, allied with her at her level. And she didn't really realize how that impacted, how that had impacted her mm-hmm. until it began to crack open in mm-hmm. this debriefing session. So I, I'm agreeing with Jim about cracking open the heart and gut and uh, using the, the pressures of the day to actually allow that to happen. Yeah. If our, if our central strategy as leaders is to be anxious, uh, to conceal our anxiousness, and then to control it as a way of over, overcompensating, our strategy is to, instead of being anxious, to rest. Instead of concealing, it's to release. And instead of controlling, it's to allow Mm-hmm. things to take shape and then respond. We're just finding greater nimbleness and responsiveness when people stop fighting themselves and instead open themselves to what what's actually happening. Right. So, so the lovely thoughts, the idea that our anxiety is asking us to rest and that our desire to conceal ourselves is asking us to release something. In this case, in, in your example, Dan, an old narrative around people really shouldn't get so much yeah. of a second chance. And that control, this whole idea that we need to control, drive for results, push, etc., that leaders need to open up more and allow more is what you're saying. And I'm going to go back to my question. So we know this. People are writing about it. I love what you're saying. Um, what do you think is in the way of people actually believing that resting, releasing, and allowing can actually help them? Well, and for me, in many organizational cultures, it can appear weak. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> uh, and uh, it is um, it can appear less masculine, okay. uh, even though uh, it is actually the some of the finest, finely tuned aspects of masculinity that I know of. It's mm. it's infused with the feminine power. It takes yes. us on a whole different way of what power really looks like, what meaning and authority really look like or can look like. Okay, thank you. So, Chris, you got a, um, you're fading again in your talk. So well, one of the things that's in the way is appearing weak and less yeah. masculine, which is sort of the corporate narrative. Right. And maybe it's our cultural narrative. That if you don't just focus on the intellectual, you're not going to make it. So maybe there's a belief system that needs to be challenged or woken up to. We have about uh, 30 seconds before we need to go to break. Is there anything you'd like to add to this before we take our break, Jim? I think the big thing is that the whole theme of are we motivated to appear or be authentic? And the moment we step out of uh, appearance into authenticity, now that fear of being goes away because the only option is to be real. And uh, this is where Brene Brown's on vulnerability is so powerful. It invites vulnerability as a powerful strength. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you all for listening. We're, we're about to take a break. We'll be back. I'm Chris Wall. I'll be back with Jim Anderson and Dan Holden in just a minute. Stay tuned. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer three cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Okay, this is Chris Wall. We're back. I'm here with uh, Dan Holden and Jim Anderson, two very creative uh, transformational leadership coaches and organization development, I would call them um, experimenters. I would also call you experts, but I know you wouldn't like it if I said that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think what you bring is so beautiful and so unique that I'd like to have our listeners hear the story of the experiment that you decided to do based on the fact that the two of you were coming to this place where you both wanted to work with people around just being authentic, about letting the intellectual go, about cracking open the heart, about trusting and listening to and believing in the gut. So you founded an experiment called the Refiner's Playground, and I would just like both of you to talk about that. You can actually have a conversation with yourself if you like, with yourselves, with me butting in with a question here and there. But let your listeners know what this is about. We, uh, Jim and I... uh got to know each other through our work at Notre Dame. We're both on the staff of the business school there and have been for 15 or 16 years, I guess. Mm -hmm. And one night over dinner about six years ago, we started talking about our future and what we wanted. And we were both uh, surprised that um, 
not only did we want many of the same things, we actually described it in, in detail using almost the same language. And so that was, that was enough to get us curious about uh, the future, and we had several other meetings after that, and we finally put together this idea for a cohort of people who would come together and uh, talk about their own search for their most authentic self. We call it the, our essential nature. That was to be the focus of this cohort. We uh, envisioned that meeting over time, growing with each other, so to speak. And we thought that we would meet for 80 seasons, 20 years, uh, once each season of the year, two days, and uh, it would be an open cohort. People could come and stay as long as they want, leave whenever they wanted. But Jim and I would be in a conversation with each other for 20 years. That was the, the basic format. And, it, and the cohort experience, living and growing with each other over an extended period of time, was um, at the heart of uh, this idea we had. Mm-hmm. There were some other distinctions, but Jim, do you have things that you would add at this point? I, I think the other piece was just this uh, awakening awareness that rather than being in a uh, creating a community that relied on us as uh, facilitators, coaches, teachers, guides, what we really wanted was a community that was co-exploring the mystery and waking up to what was true, both about ourselves, who we really were, and the world that we're in and how it really works. And and so the the way that it was inviting itself to be designed was asking us to suspend everything we had ever learned about leading, facilitating, convening, teaching, coaching. And so a really important piece of this is that the Refiner's Playground was inviting us into letting go of everything that we've known and everything we claim to know to open more deeply and more fully to what's actually true. And and that has been a humbling and deeply rewarding process as well. And the other part is it allows us to be absolute co-explorers with the community that gathers. So beyond convening a space for the inquiry, we really don't do anything else but show up with the group at the two days that are designated to meet and open to see what wants to be explored. And it's just been magical to see how that's come to life. And then a little bit of context on the name, the Refiner's Playground. Mm -hmm. What Dan and I were feeling at the time six years ago is that the metaphor of a refiner's fire was really apropos to what we were going through in our own spiritual awakening process and that life comes up with these daily dilemmas and challenges and chaotic states of not knowing as catalysts to intensify the heat in our experience and the beauty of the heat is that it burns away the dross of all of our false limiting images that we hold of ourselves while inviting the true beauty that we've always been to flow with grace and ease in the midst of the heat. And if you look at gold ore and the refining process, it comes in being mostly dross, with which most people uh, describe as worthless material, with precious metal running in veins throughout it. And it's not till it's exposed to that intense heat that the dross is vaporized and the precious metal flows with grace and ease and higher and higher levels of purity. But what we found is that refining fire image itself was too masculine and too intense. And so we also were finding in our own inquiry that a spirit of playfulness was essential. And if we can open to the place in us that allows the playfulness of a five-year-old girl on a playground fully alive in the wonder of play to meet us as the attitude with which we embrace these intense refiner's fire that are vaporizing the dross of who we think we are that we're not, liberating the truth of who we are to flow with more grace and ease and be of service to us and higher levels of purity, we'd have something really powerful. 
And so what's happened by bringing the spirit of that five-year-old girl in in a playground format, now when we face real challenge in life, problems in life, rather than contracting and resisting and wishing it were different, we're learning to open and accept and deeply appreciate the catalyst that now invites a playful spirit to inquire into what will be released here that's of no longer uh, value or serving us and what true nature will come forward that we never could have found and be available for creative expression in response to the challenge at hand. And so that mix of playfulness and refining heat have just continued to prove to be a incredible gift in our own process of waking up to and being authentic and aligned with what's true at our deepest uh, dimension of who we are. Thank you, Jim. That's beautiful. Uh, Dan, do you want to add anything about well, the name? I don't think either one of us really appreciated at the time that we were also being invited into a profound comfort with the unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know that at all at the beginning. We didn't know that we were being asked to uh, be okay, feeling insecure for long periods of time. I mean, after all, if we're not teaching, facilitating, and coaching in a group, what are we doing? Right. What, what value are we bringing? Right. So we had to, we had to learn our way into that. Um, and at least for me, initially, it was uh, hard work. But there are I some key... Key distinctions in the refiner's dialogue as it has shaped up over the past, we're in our fifth year at this point. Most meetings uh, emphasize uh, an exchange of opinions and perspectives. We share mm-hmm. our positions on things. In the refiners, we meet and share our experience, things that we know through our direct experience. A very different conversation. In most meetings, we spend a lot of time making statements about what we know. Uh, In in the refineries, we talk a lot about what we don't know yet, Mm -hmm. what we're trying to learn, what we're experimenting to learn. And where in most uh, uh, meetings that I am in in corporate work, there's an emphasis on what we're certain about. Uh, In the refineries, we confess that most of the time we don't have a clue about Mm -hmm. much of anything. We're Mm -hmm. uncertain about most things. So, who, so who this is. So, I'm sorry. I'm so, sorry. so a very different kind of conversation has opened up mm-hmm. over the past uh, several years, and it has just been exhilarating, liberating to be in that conversation. That's wonderful. So, you, uh, the both of you, have grown together. You came up with this concept. You meet four times a year, every yeah. season. And you have an open cohort, so people can come if they feel like it. Um, how how have you how have people been attracted to this? I mean, you are preaching things that are really very counter to what the cultural discourse is about about success. Mm. You're preaching, yeah, embrace ambiguity, embrace your heart, embrace the not knowing, experiment, uh, experience. Embrace all aspects of yourself, not just the bright, shiny parts. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, and the shadowy parts, too. So who comes to your refiner's playground for two days every season? It's really been pretty much word of mouth. And mm-hmm. I think the people who are drawn to come are people who have are in different states of uh, uh, this inquiry, that there's a that there's this sense that there's something deeper that's awaiting us inside and there's a real appetite to want to uh, acknowledge the presence of what that is and crack open to allow ourselves to come into full relationship with it. And uh, the challenging part is that all of our previous beliefs and conclusions about ourselves in the world uh, can't make the trip home to what's true. So what we find is people who are at different points of uh, the intensity of that challenge of surrendering all that they've known themselves to be to allow the truth that they've always been to come forward and find its fullest expression. And that, that is such an intense and playful and curious inquiry and dance. 
what we find is it's other people who are feeling called home to that in their own ways uh, who are looking for a community where it's safe to co-explore and curiously inquire into that together. Yeah, and that's super exciting. The leaders that I coach, um, I think many of them are looking for a place where it is, you know, for lack of a better word, safe to let their hair down and safe to examine their beliefs and safe enough that they can begin this journey of coming home to what's true and beautiful and magical, to use a word that you use, Mm -hmm. Jim, about themselves. And I think in my work, you know, the communities are hungry for something like this. Dan, you sounds like you were about to say something. No, I'm, I'm just um, reflecting back on the leaders I work with. And, and in some ways, they're all like uh, priests in a small town. They're mm. not really allowed to have their own lives. They're always mm. on. And so mm-hmm. the refiners is a place where you don't have to be on. Mm-hmm. To your point, Chris, they can let their hair down, and talk about their own journeys without feeling like they have to uh, perform in front of others. And is that, can you you talk a little bit more about the heat that someone might be feeling when they come to this two days? I mean, you talk about the heat is what burns away the dross. So the heat is our ally. Uh, And so you were talking about it in metaphoric terms, and I'm wondering if you can put it into something practical. The way I think about it, Chris, is if when I'm faced with an, uh, a real-life situation mm-hmm. that feels unfair and poorly timed and needs to be other than it is, okay. my tendency is to contract, resist, and demand it be different. And the louder I demand, the more it stays the same or gets worse. And And so when I'm faced with a challenge like that, um, I never realized it was a choice, but I also have a choice of cracking open to make all the space required for it to be exactly as it is. Mm-hmm. And the best example I can give you that I'm in the midst of still processing is I uh, had a family member. Um, my cousin lost his 23-year-old son in a sudden motorcycle accident about three months ago. He called me in the middle of the night right when he got the news from the State Highway Patrol to share the devastation of the grief and loss. And then in being with and opening space to be with him in that moment and then to expand that to be open and with his family as we all grieved the loss, um, the more we opened and allowed space for it the way it was, the more the love between that family and for this beautiful young man whose life had been lost was celebrated and honored. And although today the the intensity of the grief and loss is every bit as much as it will uh, be in a case like this, there's been a powerful gift that we have just spent time reflecting on that this young man gave us, and it's the reality that there is no next. Um, that the fact of the matter is the only moment that ever exists is the one we're in. And so now when I'm with my children and when I'm with my cousin and his extended family after this experience, I no longer assume there will be a next time. So the quality with which we're with each other, appreciate each other, and love each other and the depth of the presence that's available to be experienced is deeper and richer and more extraordinary, even in the mundane things than I ever dreamed possible. Mm-hmm. And none of that, I think, could awaken in us without some of these really devastating challenges that we face in life. Mm-hmm. And so the grief and the depth to which we miss him uh, and and long for the ability to be with and speak with him again is every bit as intense as ever, but he's given us a profound gift of a quality of presence with those who are still here that will never be the same because of the beauty with which that tragedy has challenged and blessed us. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much. I remember when I was studying coaching, uh, one of the things that my teacher reminded us of all the time 
is this whole idea of remembering death. And your story is a really good example mm-hmm. of how something so devastating can awaken us to what's really important. And so I guess that's what you're talking about. We could take the idea that it's unfair, you know, he shouldn't have lost his life at 23. The family, um, you know, should really grieve and think of it as unfair. But in the meantime, the fact that you've opened to what is has really allowed people to be more of themselves in connection with each other. And I think that's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Dan, is there anything you wanted to add before we go to our break? Um, we've had a number of people who come in with people are going through divorce mm-hmm. uh, with all of the, the, the roller coaster of emotions that that entails. Yeah. Worrying about finances, worrying about will I be enough to raise my kids on my own. We've had others who come in with just very difficult organizational dilemmas that they're faced with. And, and what they're greeted with in the refiners is not judgment. Uh, nor are they greeted with uh, quick advice, but they're greeted with people who are genuinely curious about what's happening with them. They might share experiences they've had that are similar, but there's very little advice given. Yeah. Uh, so people so it's holding feel like a space for people to really sounds like it's holding a space for people to really see, yeah, yeah. see themselves and see what they feel and what yes. they think. Okay, we need to go to a break. I'm talking with Jim Anderson and Dan Holden. We'll be right back. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer three cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back. This is Chris Wall. I'm talking today with Jim Anderson and Dan Holden, who are partners in an experimental cohort program that they have entitled or named the Refiner's Playground. It's been fascinating to hear how this works because it does fly in the face of everything we learned in terms of what, how to be a teacher, trainer, a facilitator. Um, the title of this particular radio show has been Rest, Release, and Allow. And I know that um, Dan Holden, I know that you love poetry and I know that you found a poem that you wanted to share with people today. So I'm going to invite you to read it. Thanks, Chris. This mm-hmm. is a poem by Dana Fouts called Allow, and it really speaks to a lot of what we've been saying here about the refiner's playground. Here's what she says. There's no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt or containing a tornado. Dam a stream, and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow, and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in, the wild and the weak, the fear, fantasies, failure, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, 
practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. Oh, that is just stunning. Beautiful, isn't it? Stunning. Beautiful. Yes. So I love this, this line, the only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak. And then practice becomes simply bearing the truth. So one of the things that um, comes up as I read this poem is, and I know that the listeners are probably asking, you know, if I'm not pushing, driving for results, I'm resting, releasing, allowing. How do I really do that? Like, what am I doing when I'm resting? And I'm in the middle of something that's really got me triggered. What am I doing when I release? And what do I do when I allow? Can one of you speak to that? When I think about this rest, release, and allow, it's such a, a, a significant uh, departure from much of my conditioned thinking. Right. And the, the last part of this poem, when he talks about the choice to let go of your known way of being, what I've come to find out is whenever I move to a place of contraction, resistance, or disturbance with what actually is, it's evident that I'm pretending to be something I'm not in a scarce world that doesn't exist. And, and any action I take that's directed outwardly in that contracted, resistant state creates a mess that I've got to go clean up later. When the real action that I can take in that point of my own contraction or resistance or disturbance is rather than go outward, turn inward and acknowledge the disturbance or the contraction and open more space, rest into it, release my own limiting beliefs and claims to know that are not aligned with what's appearing before me and open space for me to move to a place of allowing what is to be and allowing who I really am to be in relationship with it as it is. So it's an inner discipline of noticing my own contraction, turning my attention inward, resting into it, releasing what's out of alignment with who I am and how uh, what's going on in front of me, and then fully allow myself to be in relationship with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And from that place now, I gain intuitive guidance that guides me even when I don't know what to do in the face of what I'm facing. Yeah. And so that first part of rest, release, and allow is much more of an internal practice when I notice my own contraction to what is than anything external. Mm-hmm. If and I'm not spending can... all that energy being angry with, frustrated by, and impatient with what is, yeah. but instead I'm simply allowing it to be, um, all that energy can be spent being curious about and being responsive to it, being nimble in the face of what a moment ago I was resisting. So, yes. so, so there's just greater freedom of movement uh, when we rest. It also there's an interior there's an interior kind of strength building that's also taking place. Yeah. If I'm not afraid of what's going on in me, what happens outside of me? What 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 could possibly upset me or frighten me? That's happening outside of me. I didn't, I didn't say that very well, but <laughs> well, you got the message. I, I think you're talking about being human. And right. being human, Jim, you talked about contracting and noticing when you're feeling contracted, which may show up, it usually shows up in our body. And I think, um, Dan, you're talking about uh, being able to recognize the anger, for instance, and the angry energy, and that spending angry energy is a waste of energy. And rather to get curious about what your anger's about. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. And to somehow not be afraid of what you're feeling as a way right. to really build right. your own interior interior strength. 
and and almost as a byproduct, what then happens is your own interior capacity to find a reasonable response to whatever is happening gets strengthened. Yeah. You have more to bring to bear when things begin to go go wrong. And you may still need to, um, in your own very authentic way, um, stand up for yourself. You know, right. if something has has gotten you angry or if something has been unfair, you may need to request right. something different. So you're not yeah, saying, not, like, let it all go and be passive. No, it's it. not our, we're not talking about um, living with toxic situations or putting up with unbearable kinds of things. There's still a place for authentically speaking up and taking a stand and doing what's required. But we are talking about uh, finding ways to move beyond our own fear and limiting assumptions of who we think we are to something much more expansive and greater. And sometimes rest, release, and allow is actually a powerful, explosive expression of creativity in response Mm -hmm. to what's going on with a lot of urgency. But it's not a reaction that places itself against what appears to be going on. It's an internal creative response to what's actually going on. And the big shift here for me is I move from my ego contracting and polarizing, placing itself against and now acting against what appears to be, moves to opening and allowing and surrendering deeply to my true nature, trusting its natural response as a creative expression from the inside out in relationship with what's actually going on. And I would say my first couple thousand of reps of rest, release, and allow has been uh, when I notice a contraction, it's resting and releasing and allowing my ego, which is not who I really am and is always resistant to whatever is, uh, to actually allow it to be. And when I open and make space to allow for it, it's defenseless against that. My ego has always needed something to resist against to give it the appearance of form. And the moment I open and make space to allow for it, it can't persist because it literally doesn't exist. And the practical piece of this for me is that now the rest and release and allow activity, sometimes it's in complete stillness, sometimes it's in full action. The Mm -hmm. primary difference is we're in every breath, rest, releasing, and allowing into our true nature, trusting it and acting in accordance with it. And that can be every range from stillness to full-on urgent action and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Yes. An urgent action with a with a mindfulness of your own choice. Yes, and it's a creative expression in support of what's happening, as opposed to res- a resistance that's demanding it be other than it is. Great. So I know that um, you you have posed this question to me before, and I am going to invite you to talk a little bit about this question that you have in your book, Jim. Uh, and also, by the way, thank you so much for saying on the, you know, 10,000th time that you've, you know, practiced rest, release, and allow because <laughs> most of us do have to practice to be able to get to a place where we can really even figure out what the reality is that's trying to tell us something, right? And so, so your question, I think, is really timely. Can you, can you share it with us? It is. It's to to look right into the face of whatever presents itself in each breath of my existence and ask, why is this perfect for me now? Mm -hmm. And what I'm in awe of is that when I first started playing with the question, the very thought of it incensed me because I was in a place where it wasn't okay and it needed to be different. But every time I'd ignore that or try to forcefully change that or dump my exasperation because ignoring it and changing it weren't working, I kept feeding the beast and intensifying the dysfunction. Mm -hmm. The moment I went to this question, it began to crack open the door to rest, release, and allow because rather than demanding what is be different, 
and open the door to look look for why is it actually perfect in this moment. And uh, and it's been thousands of reps alongside Dan playing with the same thing in his own unique ways. And what we keep finding out is one of the most powerful aspects of the question is it brings my attention back to now. Whenever my ego's pretending to be me, my attention's in the past and the future, neither of which ever exists. And this question meets me in my own contracted resistance and brings my attention back into the moment I'm actually in. So that's a huge shift. And now that I'm in the moment, when I look with curiosity into what's the divine gift that's awaiting me to receive it in the midst of what I'm thinking is really a bad thing or too good a thing, now I drop in to rest, release, allow. I open to see what's here for me that I was missing when I was resisting it. And it is game-changing. And I'm in awe about this question has become a living meditation for me uh, that I love to test moment to moment to moment. And it keeps me in a rest and release allow state. And when I contract and resist, it helps me return me back to my center which the more reps of practice I get, the more I find our true nature is in a state of rest, release, and allow all the time. So it's a coming home and trusting true nature as opposed to trying to rest and release and allow. Uh, But the question serves as a beautiful living meditation. And this is where I say be patient and persistent because the first (laughs) few thousand reps really angered me, incensed me, and I wanted to throw the question out altogether. But in staying with it, it's open being a way that uh, no other living meditation has. Right. And I think I think when I ask myself, you know, what would people need to believe to be able to love that question and welcome that question and rest, release, and allow, I think one of the big things is that they have to trust that our true nature really does have the answers. And I'm wondering, uh, Dan, if you want to add anything to those ideas that Jim was just I'm just I, I just enjoy, uh, Jim, listening to your, to your response, and I love the... How many times you've said, oh, a thousand repetitions here, a thousand there. And... But it seems to me that everything, every experience somehow gets tied up with this, this releasing our true nature. Uh, and to do that, we have to confront our own limiting assumptions about who we are and what we are. Yeah. So the, the question that Jim poses it's a question I love, even though it really angers me at times. Right. <laughs> because I know. I've wanted to smack him before. Well, it's a great way for, for coaches who are listening. <laughs> it's a great way of cutting short your coaching contract with virtually everyone. <laughs> if you ask that question too soon. <laughs> timing. You have to be a master of timing. So what are some, in the few moments that we have left, what are some of the practices that you would recommend to clients who really want to try to do what they have to do in corporate America, which is somehow achieve results, while, while really coming from a place of resting, releasing, and allowing. What are some practical things that you invite them to think about? Early in the morning before you go to work, ask your true nature to show itself to you and to guide you through the day. That's one. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then Thank pay you. attention. Uh-huh. Which is somewhat what you did in your book, Lost Between Lives, where you yeah. had a conversation with your true right. nature self. Yeah. Uh, you called it your sacred self, I think. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah, so I love it. And then listen to it. What other ideas do you share with your clients? Another one I would suggest, we talked earlier about the centers of awareness of head, heart, and gut. Oftentimes now when you're facing a challenge and you're looking for what to do, especially when it's in a place of I don't know what to do, pose the question to your head, pose the question to your heart, pose the question to your gut, and see what you get and how well they align. Mm. And uh, I find that just checking in with those three centers of awareness when I'm facing an unknown 
is really useful. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine this one takes practice, too, because your head might tell you one thing, your heart might tell you something different, and your gut might still be angry, you know, for instance. When working yeah. with clients, mm-hmm. uh, customers, or your own team, uh, get used to talking also about what you don't know, uh, what you're currently uncertain about. It may feel vulnerable, at least initially, I guess because it is, but it also is a, a way of beginning to awaken uh, the authentic self inside. And it's, it can be such a relief Yes. to be able to say, I really don't know. Right. Yeah. And so, and so many leaders have a hard time. Leaders I coach are like, no, I can't ever be that vulnerable. Yeah. I'll get eaten alive. Yeah. And they may yeah, be in a culture so, where that's true. Where yeah, so, so take the next 12 months and figure out how to talk about what you don't know in a way that doesn't get you fired in a way mm-hmm. that's consistent with your most authentic uh, way of communicating. Yeah. So you don't have to rip your shirt and weep and wail. Find a way to talk about and share your stuff you know about and stuff you don't know yet. Great. Take, that's great. Take time. Allow yourself to be a beginner. I think this idea of taking time is also really important. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering how you help your clients recognize that that's an important piece of their own development. Right. On a very practical level, Chris, and I know you know this already, but um, I allow for silence in our coaching sessions. Mm -hmm. I don't fill the silence up with mouth noises, calm Mm -hmm. words. Mm -hmm. I let there be silence. Beautiful. What about you, Jim? Anything else you want to add? Another big one would be um, twofold. One, when you notice yourself contracting, resisting, or disturbed, uh, try turning your attention on the disturbance and inviting it full center into your awareness and greet it like a long-lost friend you're delighted to get to visit with. Mm. Give it a voice and then ask it with great curiosity what it has to say and then write down everything that it has to say and the most powerful aspects of this practice is you'd start to move into an observer relationship with your own contractions and resistances and disturbances and for me when you acknowledge the presence of those you invite them into awareness you give them a voice you show curious interest to hear what they have to say Mm-hmm. You're really, this is a rest, release, allow practice. And it's absolutely fascinating what happens. Instead of trying to make my disturbance go away, I'm fully allowing my disturbance to express itself completely to myself. And in the process, it, it, its non-existence becomes conscious. My own disturbance is rooted in my ego's resistance to what is, and so when I allow it to be, it has to come from a source that actually exists. And since my ego is an old, worn-out, faulty conclusion about myself, when its disturbance is allowed to be, it can't. And there's something powerful about that because now my urge is not to fix the broken parts of me to make a more improved uh, false image of myself it's surrendering what I know to be myself to allow what's true to come into my awareness. And the power of being in an observing, curiously interested, playful relationship with my own contraction, resistance, and disturbance has proven to be life-changing. And when I start realizing I'm not my disturbance, it's really liberating. And I start to wonder... What part of me is able to <laughs> acknowledge this, invite this, listen to this, and be interested in this without being scared to death? That's where our true nature, which is in a rest and re- allow, uh, rest, release, and allow state, can really find its expression. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Jim. Uh, our time is up, and this hour flew by. Uh, I would really invite our listeners to. Uh, get in touch with Jim Anderson or and or Dan Holden. You can find them if you just Google their names. 
and find their books and um, live in that question, how is this perfect for me right now? Jim and Dan, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. It's been a delight. Great to be with you, Dan. Yep, you too, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.